and welcome to another episode of Anatomy of a Chef. I'm your host, Mike Howell. On today's show, my guest is Chef Dahlia David. Chef Dahlia is a personal chef living in New York and hails from a pineapple plantation in southern India, where her childhood was spent on rice paddy fields surrounded by coconut trees and acres of banana trees. Sounds amazing, doesn't it? Currently, Dahlia is a personal chef, so if you have a desire to strike out on your own to become a personal chef, Dahlia offers some sage advice. Her advice covers client interaction, meal prep, and the correct way to charge your clients for services so everyone wins. Some of the biggest issues, I think, with people who want to become a personal chef is they sell themselves short. They don't charge what they need to charge or quite frankly, charging incorrectly altogether and end up being burned out and not making an income. Dahlia covers exactly how you should charge and, and how you should go about prepping your meals for your clients. It's, it's really, really good advice. Also, if, if you're a new college graduate, you have to listen to this episode. She lays out the groundwork you should be taking to become a very successful chef in restaurant work, in catering, or even becoming a personal chef on your own. This girl is full of information and really, really great advice. She's done a lot in her short time as a as a executive chef, a personal chef, or a professional chef. These personal chefs actually are some of my favorite guests because their journey to that intersection of their career, and Dahlia is no exception, is just amazing how they come from different walks of of life from certain kitchens. She worked in Michelin star kitchens. She was the catering chef for LinkedIn in New York City many years ago. And as a catering chef for LinkedIn, she developed her skills such as food prep. And this is food prep for a few hundred people multiple times a day. So this is, this is no BS. This is really working hard. That experience, it's allowed her to build her business in ways that have taken years to learn and a craft to hone. And she did it in pretty much a month's time, working her tail off. And she talks about that and tells you all about what she did and how she survived it, because it's pretty amazing. We cover a lot of ground from food to how her mother immigrated alone to the US and paved the way for the rest of the family to follow. Imagine that, she had a baby and a month later, her visa was approved to come to the United States and she left everybody behind to make a new trek, a new opportunity for the whole family here in the United States. It's a pretty amazing story, and her mom is a pretty amazing individual. Dahlia is, I swear, she's tenacious, a total badass in the kitchen. She's opinionated and a blast to talk to. I had so much fun with her. I'm forever grateful she took the time out of her busy schedule to spend some time with me. It was a, it was a great experience. I loved every minute of it. And just a note before we begin the, the show, I often have some conversations with my guests before I hit the record button, and we talk about all kinds of stuff. But Dahlia and I were chatting, and she just was on a roll about talking different things. And I didn't want to stop her and say, wait, 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 I want to hit the record button so I can get all this, because her energy and her momentum was just such that I didn't want to stop it. So I actually hit the record button and as we were talking. So you're not going to hear introduction to this. I'm going to do the introduction here. So when you hear the show, she's rocking and rolling on a subject matter that we covered prior to the record button. So you'll hear everything that we talked about prior. 
but I just want to let you know this is a little bit different than shows in the past. It's not something that I typically do, but she was on such a roll I couldn't I couldn't help it. So that being said, this is a little different. It's a little longer than I typically take, but once again, it was so much great information and she was such a blast to talk to. The time just flew by. So I present to you Chef Dahlia, David, and I hope you all enjoy the show. I'm, I'm, I'm expecting that, you know, people don't want to listen for more than 20 minutes, right? And so I'm sitting down with my friend from Chopped, the, you know, Adam Allison, who won. He's the first guest on my podcast. And okay. he and I, we have great chemistry. He's just a wonderful human to talk to. And, Mike, we spoke for an hour. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow, mm-hmm. like, this conversation just keeps going. And I really just want to do a 20-minute thing because, you know, unless you're really I, – I personally – I'm like, I'm not Oprah. I can't have like an hour long podcast. Right. Like, will people it? And the reason why I say I can't have it is because I'm also going to turn this into a YouTube video. And those kinds right. of things, like you need to keep it short and sweet. So That's I was true. like, man, like we have to take the meat of what we talked about in an hour and stick it into something real succinct because how else will someone watch you for more than 20? Like, no one's going to really watch you for more than 20 minutes. Like, I just, I just don't think that's a thing on YouTube, you know? So, in, in fact, when we were at the food conference, one of the guys that was presenting or doing a, um, a, uh, a class on video stuff, he was like... A, a class on what? Video. Taking videos yeah. of... Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Of, a, he's on YouTube. And he, okay. he videotapes himself. And the editing is amazing that he does and what have you. And he stops and he went over the the equipment that he uses and how he goes about nice. doing the video and then stopping the video and moving the big crane thing with his camera on it and starting it again and, and that kind of stuff. But he, he'll film this and it'll take an hour to film, but he really chops it down to, you know, 20 minutes. Right. What's this guy's name? He sounds like someone I'd want to, I want to look into. I'll get it for you. Yeah. Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I don't want to say something. James? There's a guy named James Wedmore that does this type of stuff on YouTube. That's not him. Okay. I'm going to send you James because I think he'd be good for you too in case you ever decide to do YouTube videos. Oh, okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. No, I can't. He's out of Chicago and he does all his videos and his cooking and everything in his little kitchen in Chicago using natural light. He's just some, some added light and stuff, but it was just his videos are pretty... Pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. He's got good stuff. So I'll, I'll find out what his name is. I don't have it in front of me. And I'll, I'll text it to you or email it to you. So you so oh, you amazing. Thank you. Yeah, and you can check out his stuff. And Very forthcoming with information. Very willing to help. Very Kind of like what you mentioned earlier. Podcasters are the same way. What do you need for help? And we'll help you out and make right. you successful. Yeah, there is so much camaraderie. I mean, I'm I'm still very very new to the game, but everyone I've met that are podcasters or sort of in this industry, there is a mm-hmm. genuine feeling of let's make this happen, and I feel like that is the reason why the movement is so strong. Um, I'm sure there are outlier podcasters that do not want to help, but so far in life, I have been very lucky. <laughs> so I'll just keep, I'll, I'll take it, you know. Like I'm, I'm happy to give as much as I get. So it is, it is so fair, and I, I, I just absolutely. I'm so grateful, man. Like there's a lot of good people out there that are willing to help. And I mean, as a chef, if you're thinking of doing like a podcast, 
you know, that's not a crazy idea. And I feel like a lot of chefs are so stuck in kitchen work that they're like, man, where do I get the time to do it? You're right. Where do you get the time to do it? That's a real, yes. real thing. And you have to really um, consider spacing out, you know, availability in your life to do that. But the thing is, there's help out there. So if you start this, this wheel of turning in that direction, you can find people that are willing to support you in this goal. There is, there are people out there that want to see this happen because, actually, you know, I had this conversation with a girlfriend of mine. It had it's separate from podcasting, but it's about um, chefs or food people on Instagram, Mike. And I think this is a great thing to talk about because there's a lot of foodie people on Instagram, right? And they do mm -hmm. a really good job reflecting um, food and lifestyle in in that sense. But a lot of these people either it's like it's a hobby. Or mm -hmm. it's it's like it's actually their entire life is like they just do food for Instagram or food for social media. So you ask a chef in the kitchen to do that for their Instagram, and they'll be like, "You gotta be kidding me! Like I have no time. I gotta push out ten dishes. Like there's no exactly. place for the glamour." But the true chef is so worth capturing because there's so much. There's so much elegance in the grit, and also there's like if you get like a real chef, you're getting like the real authentic feeling of what it's like on the gram, and that's right. the thing. The the biggest challenge that I talk to my girlfriends about, the ones that are in social media and do this for a living, is that I don't have time to be all fancy and pretty and like do all that. But I I would genuinely like to show you know what my world is like, and I'm gonna do more of it. It just it it comes down to what can you make space in your life to do and what do you believe is worthwhile? And as a chef, I think when you hit that um, feeling of like this is a kitchen grind and I'm no longer loving it, but I love it because yes, food is my passion, but I need to find more meaning, then you've got to look at these different ways of doing things and kind of put that as a part of your life. Even if it seems like extra work and you're physically exhausted, it may potentially make life better for you. And, and these are just like thoughts that I've been going through in my head just, you know, as a chef and figuring out, you know, um, second wind, third wind of, of being a chef, of like figuring out when you're tired and, and, you know, you love to cook, but what else can I do in this world that, you know, really shares information about what I do? Because, you know, we as chefs, we share our love for food through our cooking, but we mm -hmm. can share our love for food in other ways as well. But it just comes down to, do you have the balls to do it? It really, like, yeah. it's just that. And, you know, do you feel like you have the support system? And if you don't, like, you have to find it and you have to create it. And, like, there's just, it's the journey. And I feel like not just chefs, anyone in life, like, taking that step towards the journey is the hardest part because it means that you are giving into a possibility of, shit being real hard and you having to work through that. And, like, nobody wants things to be hard in life. Like, that is just not what we look. We're human. We're not looking for that. Right. But we, take the, we take the path of less resistance all the time. All the time. And it is not, like, oh, nobody should feel guilted by that. No one should feel like, oh, I'm a weenie because I take the path less, you know, you know what, what did you just say? The path that, that is path less, less resistance. Less yeah. resistance. Like, that is not a bad thing. It is us trying not to harm ourselves internally, mm -hmm. you know, like, that is right. just human nature. We do not want to feel broken inside. That is, there's nothing wrong with it. But the thing is, in order for us to grow as human beings, yep. a little bit of breaking into needs to happen. It is just, it's just, 
it is the way. It's unfortunate. It is the way. Like it's, I have, as I'm saying, I'm smiling because it's like, yeah, man, it sucks. It sucks that you have to break into yourself and like have it be a little hard and have that discomfort to really make something of yourself. But if you don't even have that story, like where, how can you even say your season? How can you even say, you know, I've done it and I know what this is about? How can you help other people? How can you truly share what food is about as a chef if you're not remotely broken into? Like, how do you do right. that? Yeah. What, what do you tell to new graduates that graduate, the new culinary graduates? You know, my thing is, my thing, I've always said this, is you need to have a plan. And if you don't have a plan, you got to start thinking about it. So if you're right out of culinary school and you don't have a plan for what you're planning on doing, whether it's restaurant work or it's catering or if you're planning on being a personal chef, start making a plan. Start deciding what your end goal is because that really is going to drive where, where you're leading your own future. And if you're like, and I, going back to not knowing, I get not knowing, but if you're sort of searching all the time and just doing one thing or another, you may feel real lost. So it's better to really sit down and try to figure out what the point is. And what, if, it, if it's just, I would like to work in restaurants, then go work for the hardest restaurant first that you can find, whether it's Michelin star, whatever it is for you that is considered the hardest type of cooking or cuisine or style, but also one that you love to do. Like, you know, there's that fine balance. But right. something that's real challenging because you're going to set the bar for yourself and you're going to say, this is what I'm made of and this is what I can muster within who I am. And what that does is, is that any job after that, you can say, yeah, I work for this Michelin star restaurant. You obviously want to hire me. So you build that sort of resume just like if you went to undergrad and you're doing internships before you get your real, you know, first big kid job outside of college. You know, you have to sort of set up some really solid internships that sort of match what you may or may be doing in, in the future. And so it's kind of like, you know, creating a structure around your plan for your next step. So, you know, even if you don't know, like, if your end goal is being a personal chef and you're going to do restaurant work first so you can be taken seriously as a personal chef, mm -hmm. you should at least, if you're saying, I'm doing restaurant work because that's what I know I need to do now, pick the hardest restaurant that you like and go go do a go do a trial with them. Go do a trail. Like you just go do the hardest thing because otherwise you're never going to figure out what you're made of. And if you take the easy way out, then every single job after you're going to be looking for the easy way out. And then you might get bored of this real quick because like there's no real yeah, challenge true. in what you're doing. So like yeah, if it, that yeah, and that comes it comes full circle back to being broken into. Like if you don't you you don't feel like wait can I curse on this? Is that okay? Yes, if you wish. Okay, yeah, I yeah. was because I, you know, I'm like calmly becoming very like politically correct, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like, if you don't feel like no, shit's you... hard. If you don't feel like shit's hard, then it, you're not doing it right. Like it has to be somewhat hard, and also obviously you should be happy too. But there should be a feeling like, man, like my day isn't easy, and I've got to calculate how to do this, and I've got to train myself to be better because I'm not good at everything yet. Yeah. And I, I, even if it's five years, ten years down the road, you're finding yourself that what you decided five or ten years ago is not where you want to be. That's okay too. And you, now you've got the skills and the knowledge. You can make turn 180 degrees and do something else. Right. Exactly. But at yeah. Least you're well worn and, and educated. Mm -hmm. and right. So and even if like you decide, you know, 
five years out of culinary school that you don't want to be a chef anymore or you don't want to be in the food industry, you at least have these high accolades of doing the best of the best in your field mm -hmm. or whatever you consider the best for you. And that, just a transition, is a story to tell and you will be excited to talk about the work you've done because you've built that. So, right. you know, other jobs can come to you that may not be in that field, but it works because you can say like, hey, I was a leader in my own right because I did it this way. And mm -hmm. these are the things that you take away from having it be harder than easy. Right. I agree yeah. with you 100%. Yeah. So what was, um, you've worked in some pretty tough restaurants. What was the toughest one you worked in? Um, well. Oh, you don't like John that. George. No, I do. I'm fine. I, I had to think about it because there's actually like there's there's two. All right. So the first one, the toughest one was I was um, the head catering chef for LinkedIn headquarters. I was doing the vegetarian meals and there was a meat chef as well. The um, and that so LinkedIn is in the Empire State Building. And when I was working there in LinkedIn only had three floors of the Empire State Building. That was about 400 people. I think they have like another floor now. I think so they're at five. They, they're just growing as a company, which is great. But when I was yeah. working for them, I was feeding 400 people and I was feeding them breakfast and lunch. So, oh what, so what that means, Mike, is that I was working overnight to feed 400 people breakfast and lunch. And to and I am I'm not a uh, nocturnal person. I'm just not. I, I, I do better. I'm a morning person. I do really mm -hmm. well in the morning. Early um, morning. And right. Yeah. I took this challenge one because I was like, this is such an amazing opportunity that I can lead the, the menu and sort of make all of this happen. And I'm, I'm in charge. You know, I love that feeling. And I wanted to have that opportunity to just take it on to see what it was like. And it was like, well, yeah, let me see if I can do it. Let me see if I can cook overnight. It was really kind of like just a challenge that I wanted to mm -hmm. take on. Um, craziest, ridiculous thing I've ever done, and I would never advise anyone to do it. I wouldn't tell anyone to cook while, like, if they're, if they're not a nocturnal person, that that's not a job you should ever take. I, I did it. I never cut myself once. I didn't burn wow. myself. I... Nothing, no hair in food, no issues, no complaints. <laughs> but let me tell you, I was a zombie. I don't know how I, I, I can't remember the things I cooked because I think I was sleeping and cooking at the same time, but also awake. I, I don't even know how to describe all that. But it was like. So what were you, go ahead, sorry. I was going to ask you what your hours were. Right, so my hours were 9 p.m. to okay. about 9.30 a.m. Oh my gosh. So it's like you're cooking and you're staying awake but you're and your brain knows it needs to be on and so you're doing mm -hmm. it but you're also your body just wants so badly to sleep but you're cooking and you you have such a responsibility I and I just felt the responsibility on my shoulders um, and I was like I can't let these people down like I have to do this so I I did that and I I look back and I'm like that was such a good decision I made to do that because I know what I can do, uh, what I'm capable of doing. I just wouldn't advise anyone to do it. You know, <laughs> How long did you do it for? I did it for a month. I didn't, I didn't oh, go I that did. far into it because I wanted just for the experience. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to sit, because, okay, like, imagine, like, the people that are not nocturnal that are doing it. I would have health problems right now. I wouldn't be able to talk to you. I, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I'd be in, like, a different road. 
if I didn't just yeah. do it for the experience and like learn from it. And honestly, that month felt like a year because you learn so much about just doing that sort of work, like just mm -hmm. immersing yourself when you're not somebody that um, has the body for it. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Like has a mental oh, yeah, yeah. for that, yeah. meaning, you know, not an, I'm not a nocturnal person and I did that. So that was more than enough. And I kind of like went in thinking that I wasn't going to do it for very long, but I wanted to help out and I wanted to be there. And, you know, everything, it's like it's it's like one of those roles that you won't forget. And it was so worthwhile to do. And that's the thing, like, I feel like chefs think that, especially restaurant chefs, they think that they need to stick to their roles for a long time. And oh, I'm, oh. I'm someone that says, no, you don't. You go in, get mm. the experience you need and you leave and you go to another job that gives you more experience because if you feel like you're done with that journey then close the door don't stick around there's no reason right. for it because there's enough opportunities out there in the restaurant world that you don't have to stay somewhere for 10 years if you really don't like it why would you do that to yourself if it's the same with a corporate job why would you stay somewhere you don't like you know and yeah. I know that there is that mentality where it's like you stay somewhere and you build you know years and years of experience sure but if it's not healthy for you and you feel like you've learned everything you need to do, you're fine. And, and the thing is, it's very relative because in a corporate world, in one month, you barely get through what you need to know. In the restaurant world, in the food world, you get a lot in a month of what you need to know. By the time you hit like the third week, you know exactly what to do. If, like, if not the third day, do you know what I mean? Like, if you're not on it by the third day. Or in that, in that particular environment is what you mean, right? Right. If you're not on it by okay. the third day, they're not, not going to keep you. Like, you have to be someone sure. that can handle the work. So you, you have to be amazing at it from the second day onward. So by the third week, it really does feel like you've been there for a year because you just know the system so well and you know what needs to happen right. for it to be a successful operation. So that goes with uh, restaurant work. Like you just have to, you, you be there for what you need to do and then you move on. Because here's the, the deal. People will ask you like how long you've been somewhere. And if they're the type of person to judge you based on that, fine. You have an answer and the answer is, here's what I've learned from being there. And these are all the things I've learned. And if they don't find that valid, then that restaurant isn't for you. Because gotcha. you have to be able to prove you know something from the work you did, even if it was a month. And I, I can share plenty. You know, it's not, you know, catering, that, from that month of catering, I've been able to do my own catering businesses on the side because I've figured out measurements. I've learned so much about mass production in just one month that for myself, I can do my own parties and throw it. And that's really ultimately what I wanted. I wanted to be able to do large-scale food at one point in my life, and I wanted the background to structure that. It's just, I'm going to throw this in there. I did push the recording button a little while ago, but it was after we talked about you wanting to do the podcast and the YouTube. Right. This would be great. This would be great content for podcasts, not so much for YouTube, but just to kind of lay it out there that I this is how what I learned to do a catering business because there's a lot of chefs out there that would like like to go the catering route and not be in a commercial kitchen or a restaurant. Kitchen. Well, here's the thing: catering, catering. You still have to be in a commercial route when you, I mean, a commercial kitchen when you're um, sure. making large-scale food. So it's like, oh, it's, I, yeah, you can't yeah, do that so, in your kitchen at home. Right. Yeah. There's just there's I, the question you're asking me is like, how how can we help people find these opportunities to do catering? Is that what it is? No, my my I guess my um, point was that 
in this podcasting journal that you want to start up and start um, developing, one or two of the subjects matters could be if you're thinking about get it going the catering route, this is how you could handle mass production. This is how I did it. This is how you could possibly do it. Right. Kind of more of an educational um, point of view. Yeah. Talking about yeah. It. I hear you. you Definitely. Could, you could you could actually Dahlia, you could probably monetize this into some sort of a do a YouTube or a not even a YouTube, but just do a video educational based thing and put it out there for chefs to purchase from you and then be available to answer questions and that kind of stuff. Once you create the videos and put it out there and put it right. on like your Facebook page or YouTube page on if you're thinking about how to become a commercial, uh, a catering chef, once you build it out and sell this thing for $1.99 or whatever it is, then it's passive right. income. People just yeah. go out there. You just promote it and people just keep buying it and watching the videos. Right, right, so, right. Totally. Yeah, I hear you on that. That's, that's something an avenue for yeah, it, I mean not tomorrow, obviously, but no, yeah. When you're when you're writing down things that you want want to accomplish as you're doing this, that could uh -huh. be a route for you. That hey, this is what I've learned. I'll teach you how. I'll teach you the ins and the outs, and so you don't make the mistakes that a lot of people who just jump into catering make. I mean, there's right. home cooks yeah. out there would love to do catering as well. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so. for home cooks, I would say first practice in a under someone else, you know, in, a, in their right. catering kitchen, because that, mm -hmm. it's a different beast, cooking that type of food. It is so oh, large yeah. scale. It's like, it's just, yes. it's nuts. Like, you need to really understand quantities and how much measurements of each you're doing. And then um, just when it's a large scale operation, the equipment is, is different. So, it, you know, yeah. it's one thing to be a home cook, but as a whole, you, you know, as a home cook, you've got to, you know, there's a few things to learn, like you said. Yeah, for sure. There is mm -hmm. definitely an avenue there. The way I'm setting up my podcast now, Mike, because I, I think that there's so much more to talk about than just food and catering. I, mm -hmm. I want to, and I, I am incorporating human nature, culture, and why people do what they do as concepts oh, of my podcast. So it's it's a little bit more worldly than just like, I'm a chef and, you know, I cater and I, I'm a personal chef and I've worked in restaurants, which is all great things, but I feel like, you know, you and I are having this conversation and you're learning about me and in some ways, there's so many other people out there that are doing really interesting things that I want to give them the opportunity to speak and while I'm a chef and I've got all these qualifications, there's just mm -hmm. so much to learn about other people and, you know, other creative people that do what they do and you know, what makes them a success. So I'm right. I'm trying to support them in that way. So you know what's really interesting? I haven't even thought, let me figure out how to monetize this because I really, this is such a, a love project. It is such a project yeah. from my heart. I'm just excited to do it, to share the information. And at one point, like you, I'm going to figure out, okay, this is a, this might be a good way to make some money off of it. But that's yeah. honestly... It's down the line, and it's, like, of not course. the intention at all. I mean, you right, know, right. We, we need to make a living. And, like, that's the thing. Like, as I'm saying this, I want the people that are listening to this to understand, don't feel guilty for wanting to monetize something that you decide to create. That's important because if you need to put your passion projects out there, your love projects, you also need to have money to back it. So there's zero reason why you should feel any sort of guilt for wanting that. But don't start out, like, I mean, you can, you know what, let me backtrack. 
you can go in the intention of making money. That is definitely one way to do it. But also remember, like, if that makes you feel a certain discomfort, then maybe you should go back to the other thought of doing it because you love it, and then from there yeah. you can figure out how to make money. So, I mean, there's some people that operate like, let me make money off this, and they're really good at it. Like, they're just like, okay, I figured out how to monetize this, and, and this is great. But then there are other people that it's like, the moment they think of it that way, it becomes something that they become, you know, uncomfortable doing, and they're not mm -hmm. really successful at it. So then switch, switch the mindset, and become... I'm just going to do this right now for what it is, and I'm going to create it, and then down the line, maybe I can figure out how to make money off it. But at least you got your stuff out there. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a resume in itself. Like, so just remember that for any creative person that's looking to put out a podcast or create a YouTube channel, just get that stuff out there. And yeah. here I am talking. I don't even have either yet. <laughs> but I know, like, I'm so gung-ho. I don't want people not to do it. I want people to go out and make their stuff happen because it's so, yes. so important to who we are not to kill the creativity that's inside that us. Because, yeah. yeah, because it's that funny, is... When, go ahead. Go ahead. When I was um, doing this, when we talked in the, in the pre-interview pre call, um, I, when I told you that my wife said that's the best idea you've ever had is doing this yeah. podcast, I was telling my dad about it and immediately the first thing out of his mouth was so how are you gonna make money off of it and I was like right yeah, and that's, like, not, that's not the that's, point that's the thing like there's some people they get real amped to talk about it like I have friends that are so good at that like they're so business-minded that they can figure out like this is what the structure is and they're gonna do it I mean amazing like some there's some days where I wish I had that brain too but then I'm also really grateful that I can just go in and be like, yeah, I love this man and I really want to share this with all of you because it comes from a different place in your heart. Mm -hmm. Just that feeling of like, I really just am so excited about this and I want you guys to hear about it because I think this will change your life. I think this will change your mentality. I think this will make you feel different from whatever else you're feeling today if you listen to this. Mm -hmm. And I mean, everybody can tell with listening to your voice that that's the way that you'll come across. And when you come across that way, that's what's endearing. That's what people want to hear. They want the the real authenticity is what they want. Right. They want, and they can see right through someone who's... Right. Yeah, yeah. I know I know exactly what you mean. And, it, yeah, it, you, you can hear it in people's voices. There's a certain, a certain earnestness of people that are just doing it because they, they care. And that, that is, like, that's the finality of it all. Like, why are you making your podcast? Why are you making your YouTube video? Why are you creating anything? Why are you a chef? Because you care. Mm-hmm. And you want to share it with everybody else. Right. And the moment you stop caring, that's when your art diminishes, whether it's as a chef, it's food, or, you know, it's the podcast, or it's the YouTube video. It's like if you stop caring, the, 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 the art goes away. That just... Just, just the feeling behind what you're doing is not there. The essence is gone, so you know everything sort of is limited because of that. There's, there's a certain, there's a certain level of food not tasting so great, or it's just something is off. You know that feeling yeah. like it's not fully a hundred percent you because something's not right, and you might not be able to put a finger on it, but you as a person know that there's a reason that you're just not feeling it. Right, well, that's very true. Mm. I want to ask you, you came from southern India. What, how old were you when, you when you came to the States? I came to the east coast of the United States when I was six and a half. 
And oh, okay. I, I didn't speak a lick of English. I mean, I, well, let's, let, let's, let's be like very realistic. So we learned English in India, and we learned it like it was a, um, you know, it's a second language. It's like how people learn Spanish here in elementary school and high school. It's just like, right. you know, you, you can, you sort of understand it. You've seen the words, and you might be able to piece something together, but would you call yourself a credible Spanish-speaking person, you know, if you're, if you're not from that country? Probably not if you're learning it as a second language here. You know, and that's, exactly. that's sort of like how I came. So it's just like how people learn, you know, Spanish here. I'm, I'm just coming in with the bare minimum English. And so for the first six months of my life, I, here in the United States, I was mute. And I, it was like a purposeful mute and sort of like taking in everything that I'm seeing and hearing and listening to accents, kind of really taking in how people interact with each other. Just Did the mannerisms, the body language. What's that? Did you say six months or six years? Six months, six months. Oh, okay. So I just okay. spent six months sort of really just spending time... Listening. Listening and feeling everything. And there's so much you can gain from just not speaking and just watching everything. And, mm -hmm. you know, part of it was I was nervous to speak English because I didn't know it so well. So spending time in silence listening to other people helped me learn the language better. And I also spent a lot of time in the public library and just reading and reading, reading everything I could get my hands on. So I became, you know, really fluent in English because I spent a lot of time reading and listening to other people. So by the time I started to speak, um, the structures were pretty fluid. Um, and then it became, because, you know, right now we're in a, right now we're in a place where in 2018 it's okay to have an accent People accept you for mm -hmm. your accent. People are willing to listen to you through your broken English to figure out what you're saying. There's patience. Um, there's sympathy. There's so much empathy that goes into people coming here and doing it. Right. Um, back in the early 90s, um, no, that was not there. <laughs> um, so I hmm. felt like if I spoke with my broken English and I felt it, I was looked down upon. Um, I was someone that was really different and I really wanted to emulate because I didn't want to cause discomfort to other people and myself. I really just wanted, okay. I wanted like, okay, everything is fine. Everything is totally fine. I know I'm brown, but like I can speak English too. You know, I wanted that sort mm -hmm. of feeling and I wanted everyone to be happy around me and that's like such a hospitality thing, like, oh, go figure, I became a chef. Like, I just wanted yeah, everyone comfortable <laughs> with me, even though I'm definitely a foreigner at that time. I could, I could really feel it. And so I really perfected the American accent. And it wasn't from an embarrassment of my, my accent. It was really just functionality. I wanted to fit in so I could get my, my thoughts across, and I wanted to be taken seriously. And I'm six and a half years old, and this is what I'm thinking about. But, like, I, wow. just, I just wanted... <laughs> I wanted things to be fair. I wanted the kids in my class that weren't my skin tone to take me as an equal, even though I, I had a different skin tone. I really just wanted to be like, okay, I, I have a different, I'm brown, but I can speak English just as well as you, so listen to me while I communicate with you. And that was a big thing for me. And so I really worked on perfecting the accent because that was so, so important. And communication has always been a really big thing for me, and it has a lot to do with 
coming to this country and not speaking the language and I wanted to be heard and I wanted to be heard properly. I want I didn't want anyone to do the speaking for me. I didn't want, you know, things to be implied because I didn't know how to say it because my accent said one thing versus what I really felt. I didn't want my accent to stop me from from being as equal to everyone else as much as I could be with my brown skin. Right. And now it's interesting because that's not even a thing. Like if you're brown, you're cool. Like it's like, oh, you're di different, you're diverse, and you know that sort yeah, of that like feeling. That was not. That was not the start. That was not my start. And I, I didn't realize um, a lot of things. I felt was, um, I, you know, there's like a lot of like racist things that happened. But I, I was so young and so innocent that. Only in college, looking back at my childhood, did it. Like I had like moments of light light bulbs where I was just like, "Oh, that was really racist," and I didn't oh. realize that. Like I just didn't realize it when I was growing up because I was too young to realize that that was meant to separate me. So thankfully, right. my innocence saved me from a lot of scarring. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so I was good. I was real good. But you know, figuring out you know as a college student. Um, it still is like wow, like that's really effed up, like that. Oh, and but you know you you're you're here, and like I'm I'm real thankful where we're at 2018, um, even with you know just politics of everything and and our president being a certain way. I'm just glad that in the East Coast and where you're at in the West Coast, there is there are people that are enlightened enough to know there's nothing wrong with being a different color, and the fact that immigrants have come here is a real value. Like, would you even have wonderful Mexican food or wonderful Indian food if you didn't have us. Like, you wouldn't. You just right. wouldn't. You need us here, man. You need us here exist. for the good food. You need immigrants for the good food, so you don't want to kick That's us right. out. That is very important. Yeah, like... So, what actually, um, what brought, what made your parents immigrate to the country? And do you have any siblings that came with you? Yeah, so my mom is... She is superwoman. She's, I mean, as many mothers are, but my mom is a very special breed of superwoman. And the reason why I say that is because she um, brought us all over here. She's a nurse. And in India, oh, okay. so the, the U.S. was taking in a lot of nurses in the times in, in the early 90s from India. Um, it's kind of like, you know, there's a lot of Indian engineers, you know, that mm -hmm. sort of deal. So back then, they were bringing in a lot of Indians. So my mom got her green card that way. And we were actually living in North India at the time. And she decided that she was going to, so she had, she gave birth to my siblings, I, to my one, my sibling, not siblings, my <laughs> sister um, was born. And then a month later after my sister was born in North India, my mom got her green card and she had to leave because she, there's like a certain time frame for mm. when that's valid. So she left. A month after she had her child, man, like that is true dedication to the future wow. of your family. No so kidding. she left a month after and like obviously my dad and my grandmother was there so we they took care of me and my sister and then later on my brother was born in this country but my mom left and um, she lived in Westchester, New York, worked for a hospital named St. Agnes which is no longer there. I think it's now called Walhalla Hospital. Anyway, at the time when she was working at the hospital she lived in the YMCA, and I've seen pictures of the little room that she had, and she saved money for an entire year so that she could bring us over, set us up in a two-bedroom apartment, and 
uh, buy a car and have like a life set for the family. So she did all of that working in that hospital as a nurse, living in the Y, making all this money just so that she can set up a life for, the, for her family to come later. So oh if, if you want to talk about Superwoman, my mother is <laughs> something else. And she just had this, she has this insane resilience and discipline that I try my best to have. I mean, I am, I, I think that Seeing her do what she's done has helped me kind of keep going with everything that I do because if my mother can do what she did, then I can, you know, I can do this for sure. The thing is, is that that's sort of our setup. So there is a lot of like honor and respect to the fact that my mom had said to herself, mm. like, America is a place where my kids don't have to stress too much about getting a job. And when they get a job, it's going to be a lot more easy for them to live a successful life and move through the things they want to do faster than they, right. they can have in India. Just because in general, things are just more challenging in India and like, you know, you can you can get a you can I'm sure you can get a job there. I mean I have plenty of family that still live there, but it's like the income's not that great. There is just the feeling that, you know, there everything is much more challenging to get than it is here. Mm -hmm. And my, my mom was trying to bypass all of these issues, like just real fast for her kids. And so she decided that she was going to set it all up for us here um, in the East Coast of the United States. And I, you know, I'm, I'm here because of her. And I'm here talking to you because of her. So we, we've got awesome. to give it to my mom. She really kind of did it. <laughs> I mean, if she listens to this podcast, she's going to be like, why are you talking about me? She's very humble. <laughs> She's so like not someone. She doesn't want the, the the spotlight. She doesn't like it. She's just so uncomfortable with it. Like you can't even tell her how great she is. She gets annoyed with that. Like she's one. She oh, just God. doesn't you know accept. Like there are some moms that are like that, but she's just a powerhouse. Like there's no other reason why I would be here talking to you without her. She's humble and proud. That's amazing. Yeah, 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 That's for sure. Very cool. Very cool. That is awesome. I know. She, we should do. We should do a whole talk on her. I could go on for eight. She's. She's. You know, like there are so many. There's moms that are just like, just like so powerful in their own right. So my mm -hmm. mom is so, so, so. There's. There's a sense of something is in her that's like Superwoman that keeps her going, and I haven't figured <laughs> out what the kryptonite is because she's still. She told me once, and I believe it. She's like. She told me. I'm not going to die without fighting. Like, she's like, I'm going to <laughs> Like, I will not quit. Like, that's just who she is, and I believe it. I hands down believe that. She's just she probably retired now? Well, she's got, a few, she's got three more years, and oh, okay. she's just, I almost think that without work, like, I'm, I wonder what she'll do, because she really is good at what she does. She's, like, an incredible nurse, and she loves it, and she, you know, has been doing it for quite some time. So there is always that, you know, feeling when your parents get older, like what will they do next? Because they have been raising you, taking care of the family, and then, you know, working because that's what they're good at. So then what Then, then what happens stops. when they retire? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so so that's always they wake the up and it stops. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a challenge. Yeah, my, my dad's uh, wife... She retired at the beginning of the year, and she's taken up painting and drawing, and she's oh. actually amazingly good at it. To everyone, including <laughs> her, surprise. She, I mean, yeah, she just started started went to an art took an art class at the local 
uh, community college uh-huh. and started with pencil drawings. And the stuff that she's putting out is like, oh my God. Wow. It's really wow. cool for you someone who's never done it before. You know what that reminds what? me of, Mike? George what? Bush, after he retired as president, oh, yeah. and he was like, well, I didn't know if I could paint or not, but I just decided to do it because I just felt like I could. And it, there was a mm-hmm. co- comment that Barbara Bush had made to, to George Bush, and his mom was like, I don't think you can do it. And like he was <laughs> like, watch me, Mom. You watch me. And then he just started painting. <laughs> <laughs> Which to me is probably the hardest medium there is in my yeah. mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, and he's quite good at it too. I mean, he does yeah. mostly animals, I think, but right. he's quite good at it as well. I love his frankness. He just he told the public he's like, I did it because I was bored. Like he just yeah. said it, and it was like it was so wonderfully refreshing that there wasn't like a giant story behind it. He truly was trying to make use of his time and do something mm-hmm. creative and worthwhile that he felt was worthwhile. Right. And took a, and took some lessons and Yeah. Now he's like now he's going crazy with it. Right. Who else right. is a really you know who else is a really talented artist? I don't necessarily agree with most of the stuff that he does, but it's Jim uh-huh. Carrey. I don't know you know, I haven't been following him much. Has he been has he is he is he painting? What's he doing? He's doing a lot of painting. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw there's a episode. There's a comment. Comed- comedians and cars and co- comedians and cars getting coffee. I think and, and um, Seinfeld hosted. It's on Netflix. Right. I remember the one he did with Obama. Oh, I didn't see that one, but he did one with, with Jim Carrey. Oh. And Jim Carrey t- took him to his studio. Uh huh huge studio in LA that he a painting studio that he uses and he was showing off some of his work and what have you and it's like wow he's he's really quite a a talented painter you may not agree with his subject matters a lot of times but mm-hmm. he had this one painting of a purple gorilla holding a machine gun and what? you're thinking purple gorilla holding a machine gun that's bizarre but it was like it was huge too it had to be six or seven foot tall it was a huge painting uh huh big thing it was like wow this guy's really interesting talents it's amazing what people what talents lie within people even folks are amazing chefs right yeah I mean you got to seek it out you have to it it, yeah it it really it goes back to kind of breaking into yourself like you got you got to go and do it and see what happens you talked about your mom Um, Mm -hmm. what's the best lesson your father ever taught you I've learned so much from my dad and I say this because He's not someone that goes out of his way to teach us lessons. Like, he's not like, listen, guys, like, this is what I think you need to know. There's a lot more action that comes from my father, and that's what we see. So when we were younger, he would, you know, go through our math homework and our science homework, and he's exceptionally good at it. He's got a master's in physics. Um, And, yeah, so he would sit with us, and he just was the most patient man for my my dumbass questions, I gotta be honest. Like I just remember thinking, like, wow, like you're putting up with me, and we've been doing this for three hours, and it's the same problem, same math problem, and we're just sitting here going through it over and over again. Never once raised his voice and kept trying to teach me, and it was that sort of patience and love and dedication to trying to get me to understand that I thought to myself. I want to be able to do this for other people in my life, and I want to be just as patient 
And I don't even know if he was frustrated with me. I couldn't even tell. That's how good Ed he was. His poker face was so good. I don't know even to this day if he ever was annoyed with the fact that I didn't figure out this math problem. So I just, I just remember thinking to myself, like, that sort of patience is something that I want to, and I, I try to, to this day, you know, craft within myself. I think I've done a fairly good job because as a personal chef, there's so much patience that you need to have with your clients. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There is, you know, there's needs that change constantly. And I, I'm not ever annoyed with the changes. And the reason why is because there is, you have to have flexibility because they're, they're, they're people just like you. And you give yourself flexibility to do whatever and decide, okay, I'm going to carve out today. And then tomorrow I'm going to eat and drink green juice and eat salad. Like if you can do that, then you've got to be as fair to your your clients as well. There's just that mm -hmm. feeling of like, do do what you're doing to yourself, do it to them. And I, I know that it, that didn't come from just being me, and I'm absolutely 100% sure that my dad's patience for me in what could have been a really challenging time is the reason why I'm so accepting of people just flip-flopping and figuring life out and restructuring and... Mm -hmm. um, not being completely clueless. Like I have clients that, you know, have no clue what they want to eat. And it's like, I'm sorry, have you not been feeding yourself all this time before me? <laughs> I, I have That's that thought. In your head, right? <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, they're doing something new. They're asking someone to feed them. So this is a new, new perspective. This is like, I don't want to eat the way I used to, or maybe I do, but I don't know. And there's a lot more going on. And so we have to have, we have to dive deeper. We need to figure out where they're at. We've got to restructure. And once we start that conversation, once I start putting out menus based on their cluelessness, is when I figure out, it's, it's when really, you know, the, the real stuff happens. Because then they're able to, to tell me, like, I like this, I don't like that. And then we can actually get to the bottom of where they truly stand with their food ideals. And that's when I can begin my work with them as a personal chef. And so if I didn't have the patience to backtrack from that first thought that I had of like, mm -hmm. have you not been feeding yourself before I came in? Right. It's like, if, you know, I can go and be real sassy and continue that way, but that's not going to be productive. Like, how can I even keep my client with that attitude? And that's the right. thing. I think a lot of personal chefs um, don't have, like, I, I well, no. Most personal chefs have good relationships with their clients. But when the relationship starts to sour, it's because, you or they are dis are both are disheartened by each other, and right. that is a sign that you maybe they're not right for you, or maybe you're not right for yourself because you're not giving them any sort of consideration. And uh, like uh, about ninety percent of your job is consideration to who they are, and then the ten percent is the cooking because it's right. such a people-oriented job that if you don't like people, you shouldn't be doing it. You really shouldn't. That is just not that you just stick with catering, stick with restaurant, like hide behind the kitchen. Don't right, talk right. to the people because you don't like people. You can't put up with the fact that they've decided that they have no clue what they want to eat, even though they've been feeding themselves for their, their entire life before you. Then you're not meant for that. You're just not. And that's, that's a real hard thing to look at because I think a lot of times like restaurant chefs are like, oh, I'd love to do personal chefing because that's where the money's at. Yes, there's money involved. Yes, because like you're really... You're, you're, you know, you're spending a lot of time with these people to get to know them, and there's a whole other element outside of cooking that goes into this work. So you're, mm -hmm. you should get paid for that. Um, 
But if you're not if you're not good at that aspect, don't try doing it. Don't do that. Don't don't make it hard for these people. They don't need that on. I and mean, I almost blame the chef at that point because I'm like, you should know the type of person you are. And if you yeah. don't like people, do not go after people. Don't do right, that. Exactly. Don't ruin people's lives. Like you you really be have an awareness of who you are and really gauge that before you jump into something as private and as there's just such an intimacy in that role of being in someone's kitchen when they're standing right. next to you in their pajamas eating ice cream and telling you what they want and their <laughs> hair is ruffled they haven't brushed their teeth and they just look like a mess and they're talking to you and they've allowed you into their life like that they've let you yeah. see them in that way they, like, there's so much respect that you got to give to that person because Think about it, Mike. Like, would you allow a complete stranger to come into your house looking like, like, while you look like that? Then you have to have, like, a, I'm going to do this, and I really trust you to be here while I look like this feeling. Right, so you right. need to honor that. You need to give that respect. And if you don't even find the value in that before you jump into it, then you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. You're doing a disservice to everybody, yourself and your client. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you might learn a like, it won't last long, but you'll at least learn, like, yeah, maybe I'm not cut out for personal chefing. So maybe it's not, like, you know, it's not the worst end-all, be-all. But I just think, like, if you're just not a people person, just don't do it. That's not what – it's called personal chef because it's personal. And if you're not into being personal with people, don't freaking do it. Just don't do it. Right. Is the majority of what you do in the personal chef arena, or do you still do catering as well? Right. So I am – my bread and butter right now is – personal chefing. The, and the reason why I do that is because I love people, like we were just talking, and I love, I like the mm -hmm. fact that I have an impact on these families, and, and these families have children, so I have an impact on the kids' lives, you know, and I, I say this because as a kid, you remember the food your mom made or whoever in your house made food. Like, you just remember what you grew up eating. Mm -hmm. And and as sure. kids, you know, they they need they need us. They need us to feed them. Like adults, like we can feed ourselves. Like we're fine. But when you work in a house with children, there is that real feeling of, wow, I'm making sure you're living better. And I just feel so enriched by that feeling. There's such mm -hmm. a, a, just a true pleasure that I get from, and it has nothing to do with the money. It's just like, wow, like I am here to really make a difference in your life. And I feel it every time I come in and I cook for these families with kids. And I, I just think that just like the memories that they have of my food, like this is what they take with them for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. And it's just so cool that <clears throat> I am a part of that. And I, I do it for that reason. And that's why I've kind of, I've sort of followed my heart in that direction because I just find so much joy in sort of working with families and just being in mm -hmm. that sort of setting. And I also do catering because there's such a, I do that on the side. And I do that on the side okay. because it is, it's so nice to jump into other things outside of personal shopping. So your brain is not always in one mode. Right. And I think that's really important because like we, we were talking about, you know, finding the second wind and third wind of shopping so you don't feel like burnout. You gotta, you gotta, you know, try new things or not even new things, but do different things because otherwise mm -hmm. like it might get boring. It might be like, is this the end all be all? So it's nice to right. have a different angle, have a different viewpoint on food. And I, I love the aspect of catering and I usually partner up with chef friends and we do events and things like that. I just did an event um, last week for Athleta um, 
here in Soho, we, they rented out this big house and they pushed out their summer co collection for Athleta. And my, my girlfriend and I, we catered the event for all the media mm. people coming in to check out the clothes for the summer collection. Oh, cool. And that was just cool. It was like really like healthy, clean food that, you know, had a lot of life into it, a lot of color and, you know, just there was just that mm. feeling like this is good for your body and you're, and you know, within a company that is, you know, supporting health and wellness, so we are representing yeah. that and branding that as well. So I'll do things like that that I like really believe in and think are, wow, this is awesome. Like, I want to be a part of that, so I'm happy to cater. Um, but I also think, like, as you and I are talking, and, you know, I'm, I'm telling you about the podcast that I'm doing, there, there's just a lot more to talk about, and there's that aspect of it as a chef, just having the discussion about food and talking about why people do what they do. That's so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you there. When you're a personal chef, do you actually go, how many days a week and how much time do you spend when you're there? Do you actually do uh, cook for a, a family or a person or whomever, whatever the job is? If it's a family of four, for instance, husband, wife, two kids, how much time do you spend at their place in their kitchen creating the meals? And do you cook for like a whole week or just days at a time or kind of a kind of yeah, that on how that works? That's a great question because as a personal chef, you can decide what type of structure that's going to go in and obviously it depends on the client. So I have a variety of clients. Some clients want me to come in and just put food in the fridge for them, um, you know, just make a bunch of dishes and have that sort of to go in their fridge so they can grab and go. Then I have clients that want uh, me to come in and make dinner for them or lunch for them and they sit together as a family and they're eating together and that's always really nice. So there's, you know, and then there's clients that need me to come in Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You know, I've had that set up where, you know, they want food for those days and while I'm there, they're also eating lunch and dinner, um, but I'm also cooking for the days that I'm not there. So it's, oh, okay. you know, just a setup depending on what your client wants and you have to be sort of flexible about it. And so depending on what they want is how long it takes for me to cook for them. So say oh, okay. it's a client that just wants me to come in and put food in their fridge for the week, um, I might decide with them, like, okay, how many dishes do you want? Do you want six dishes? Okay, great. So six dishes, and I'm going to come in and I'm going to make large amounts of these six dishes because you're a family of four and you've got three teens, um, you know, and, like, that's, this is just, you know, everybody's hungry. And that's the thing I found, like, because I've been with some of my clients for so long and some of them are becoming teenagers. And man, that appetite is something else. Like they oh, eat big time. people, <laughs> and I'm I'm like I'm learning all these things, and I'm like, wow, this is so different from my cute little four-year-olds that I feed, you know. So you know, it's it's like I'm learning like just the teenage appetite versus the four-year-old appetite, which is obviously mm -hmm. so adorable and cute. And then it's like the teenager comes in, and I love them because I've known them for so long. But it's literally like a monster coming in and eating everything in sight. And so I have to account for that as a personal chef, just making enough food for one person, which means two people when they're teenagers. So it's like, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, the amount of time it takes for me to cook like six dishes is based on my personal skill level. So for me, six gotcha. dishes I can push out in four hours, maybe even less depending. Um, but also... I was on shock, so you have to be fast to be on shock. But I don't expect everyone. I don't expect everyone to cook like that. And honestly, you should, as if you're planning on doing personal shopping, um, you should tell them like a very realistic time of how much it takes you to do it, and you should charge for those hours. And um, depending on the person, you know, they might say you should charge a rate, 
or like per hour rate or you should charge like a per day rate. I always say go with the day rate because then you can just get paid what you feel is fair for your time and then you can take the time you need to do the work. Um, that's just my personal opinion and I mean it's up to you to decide if you want to do a rate. And if like clients come at you and say why don't you do a rate, then you can explain to them that you know, ultimately, you know, you can break down the, the per day rate that you have down to an hourly fee and say, okay, this is what the hourly fee is, if that's what you're comfortable with, but I just know that it's going to take X amount of hours, so we're looking at that rate from that perspective, it's going to take me five hours to do this work. Mm. So you can present yeah. it like that, if that comes back at you like they want a rate because they think the day rate is too expensive, but, you know, at, at, at there are points with being a personal chef where you've got to look at your clients and be like, are they the type of person that can actually fund the lifestyle of having a personal chef? And are they going to give me crap for asking for what I deserve to be paid? And if they give you crap, they're not your client. And I, I say right. this because, you know, you might be really, you know, there might be like a hunger for you to jump into this personal chef world and you'll just take anything. And I, I have not been in that position, but I know what that feels like because when I first started, I was like, I'll take whoever, but I got some really great clients from the get-go, so I was, I was, I'm grateful, but I, I yeah. do know, and like midway through my personal chefing career, I had some clients that were really nitpicking on the money, and I put up with it, because one, I never experienced it before, and two, I was really trying to be fair and understand where they were coming from, mm -hmm. but I ended up overworking myself and being mm -hmm. underpaid, and yeah. then later on, I just said, no, if someone is giving me a hard time, they're not, they're not my crew. They're not the family I want to work for because you're going to exhaust yourself. I do have to say, though, there was a client that, so I had a kosher family that I worked for, Mike. And I don't know if you know how it works in a kosher family that, like, celebrates or, like, you know, observes Shabbos on Fridays. Mm -hmm. In the fall, the sun sets really early, especially in the East Coast. Man, like, I, I was basically racing the sun, to finish oh cooking gosh. for Shabbos. So if you want to talk chopped insanity, like that's the type of <laughs> stuff I would say. Because these, this family was really high profile and they basically um, brought everybody from shul over and it was like a very lovely thing. They just had like a meal for 25 to 30 people depending on the Friday. And I cooked all the food. So I would start at oh like nine, gosh. and it was like a lot of dishes, seven to eight courses and it was pretty like hefty buffet style because they just ate a lot so it couldn't be like real fancy they just needed mass right. production food so here I am once again real thankful I worked at LinkedIn because I can push out food like you would not believe for <laughs> the tiny person I am but at the same time I'm racing the sun to finish because the moment the sun sets the second the sun sets I have to stop cooking because that's how wow. seriously they observed you know and that that's where and then I left that becoming a more skilled chef, but burnt out because they didn't pay me what I felt I deserved. And I right. love these people. Like, they were such good people, and that's sort of why I put up with it, because I just mm -hmm. love the family so much. But if they're not – see, that's the thing. You can love them as people, and, yes, you can gain a lot of, like, good things. Like, I gained a lot from working there, you know. But if, if you really value how much you need to get paid more than you love the people, then – Stick with your gut on that and don't stay for that. But I just love them so much that I, I just stayed. And I'm happy with my decision because I was like, I just gained so much uh, great memories from being there, you know? So you got to right, think right. to yourself, like, 
can you put down like your feeling of like, wow, they're not paying me enough and I love them, so I'm going to stay? Or is it, I love them, it's okay that they're not paying me enough, I'm going to do it for a little bit longer. So you got to decide within yourself if you can do it. But mm -hmm. generally speaking, like really, like steer clear of people that don't pay you well because, you know, you're going to leave it feeling somewhat like, that wasn't cool, man. And, and you know, yeah. even if you do, fine. You'll learn for the next time. But just these are these are things I can share with you because I've done it. Yeah, absolutely. It's good. It's it's good insight too. Yeah. Well. And that that day rate, the day rate, does that uh, is that not or include the food costs? No. Yeah. Okay. This is real serious. Every personal chef or any person planning to be a personal chef, you do not pay for your client's food. They pay for it. Come on now. Come on now. You're not eating it. That's the thing. You've got to remember that. So if anybody tells you, like, okay, so we're going to take, you know, the cost of ingredients out of your paycheck, that's messed up, man. Like, not only are you working real hard, and, like, you don't really know. Like, depending on the menu, there might be more ingredients one week than the next week. So you're not 100% sure what you're going to make every week because it's all dependent on what they decide to eat and how much these things cost. And, right. you know, when, when you decide to pay for someone's ingredients and have it be taken out of your paycheck, you start to limit your creativity because you start looking at grocery lists like, oh, man, how can I be cost effective? So you can't give oh, yeah. them the full experience of your skill and talent because you're busy, you know, cutting corners so that you can get paid well. You don't want to be in that position. That's one more thing to think about when you're grocery shopping for them. Like, that's the last thing you think about because you want to be excited about cooking and taking care of these the, the people that are in this family and, you know, you want to be excited about the dishes you're making. You don't want to be thinking about how much stuff costs. Like, that's just something that they take on because the, the meal is for them. It's not for you. Right, right. I'm glad we got that out of the way because I think yeah. it's important. People wonder all the time, especially if someone's listening and they're thinking about hiring a personal chef. Right. So, like that. That's yeah. I'm not. Yeah. Any any person that's looking to hire a personal chef, I'm not yelling at you. I'm I'm indignant right, right. from the side of being a personal chef because I I I I cannot believe that someone will ask me to not only pay for the food they're eating, but they're also eating it, and I mean, they're all, I'm right. also cooking it. Like I, I'm doing everything for you. Like it's, it's like I, I, I'm, since I'm not eating your food, why are you asking me to pay for it? That's just unfair. Right. And I, I also come from this place of indignation because I have chef friends when they first started out that they were paying for their clients' food, and I was like, "What are you making at the end of the day?" And they're like, sixty dollars, and I'm like, "Are you kidding me? How many hours did you work? Four hours?" You can no, absolutely not. From a personal no. chef perspective, the amount of work, Mike, that it takes to do this, this is your blood, sweat, and tears. Mm -hmm. Hopefully no blood or sweat or tears in the food itself. But like <laughs> like just from like the, the theatrical perspective, there's so much effort that goes into feeding other people and you're not paying them right and then you're asking them to buy their buy your food for you. It's just it's not right. And it's there's a there's Certain, uh, there's one class and also like if you go to New York City that's just not something or even LA like you can't pull that off like you have to pay for your own ingredients like no one mm -hmm. does that here no one asks the yeah. chef to buy their food for them good point I'm glad we glad we covered that and got it out of the way yeah that's an excellent point excellent point if you had to choose three herbs or spices for the next year what would they be and so um, let's see, onion powder and garlic powder, because that means that if I didn't have onion or garlic, I would still be fine. 
<laughs> relatively fine. I really love cilantro, and it, it's from you know being Indian. I just love that herb. There's just so much freshness to it. And I, I understand that some people think, based on your, I think genetic disposition, you may hate cilantro. You might think it tastes like soap. I love it. Me? And if, if like, no. here's the thing. Here's the thing. If if I'm given a client that doesn't like cilantro, and I had one choice of an herb out after onion and garlic, I would switch to dill. So that would be the other okay. fragrance herb that I would pick. So if you don't like cilantro, I'll use I'll use dill for you. Like it's not for me; it's for the person eating it. But I like both, and I think both add a, a lot of brightness and really great flavor to different foods. Um, obviously, depending on if they need it. But I just I love both of them, and I think that um, there's so many dimensions that you can create with just adding mm-hmm. uh, either one of those herbs. Do you use any of your cultural spices a lot in your dishes or do you pretty much stick to I want to say more American style dishes because you're your clients but I don't want to yeah 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 so I no no you're not at all and I I thought about it myself I I cook a lot of fusion food because being Indian and growing up eating Indian food um, your your tongue is accustomed to strong flavors and intricate palate patterns. That's what I call it for anything that's really complex, right? Like complex curries mm-hmm. and things like that. Like you can you can separate what the different spices are or you can you understand it. It doesn't freak you out and you can eat it all the time because that's just how you grew up. Now that sort of training makes it so that even if you're making what what we would call American food, like a quinoa salad, You can go real complex with the spices and herbs because you know and understand how to use them, or your tongue gets it. So you can go Mm. in a in a like a higher level. It's just it it comes down to depth. Like you can really deepen the flavors because you understand spices and herbs from a cultural perspective. So while I may not be making curries and Indian food for my clients all the time, I am cooking from a really strong palette and that I say because I'm using tons of different spices and herbs to gotcha. enliven the food and that that really just comes from being Indian okay that that's hands down it's a cultural thing of understanding right, how right. to utilize spices in that way even if you're not cooking Indian food and I don't and I'm not cooking Indian food every day I'm not like an Indian food chef and I think that's um mm-hmm. Something that happens to me often because I am Indian, people ask like, oh, do you make Indian food? And I have to um, refrain from eye rolling and that's an honest reaction <laughs> because because just because I'm Indian doesn't mean I just cook Indian food. I, I grew right. up here and my value for cooking in a healthy way means that I will touch on all different types of cuisines to create something that works for you because that's why I do this because I care about you as a person. So it's not just about Indian food anymore. And we can make Indian food, but that's not something that comes up often because most people want to have simplified versions of their unhealthy food. And that's right, what we right. really do. Yeah. Good. I'm going to get that out of the way too because yeah. there's a, a misperception or misconception of cultures like um, Asians or Indians or either way it's like do you cook anything else it's like well yeah right and that's that's the thing like we have some we have some really fantastic chefs um, that are Indian that are making Indian food 
And I almost feel like as, as, as an individual that is in the culinary field and being Indian myself, I almost feel like, oh, I, if I, you know, going in a sphere where I'm speaking about food and things like that, I, it's like, well, why don't you cook more Indian food? Well, I don't feel like it because I can do other right. things as well. You know, I, I, exactly. I can do, yeah. I, I'm, I'm excellent at looking at you as a person and you, you and I talking about where you're at in life with your food journey and then coming up with a plan that will make your food journey even better or somewhere else that you want to be. Like, we can do that together. Isn't that great? We don't have to talk about chutneys and samosas. And like, right. nothing against chutneys and samosas. I love them. I'm just saying that there's just so much more to an Indian person than like consolidating them to just Indian food. It is just not, it's not fair and that, that, that is like a one-dimensional idea of an American Indian person. Yes, exactly, which is why I wanted to approach it and get it out of the way because right. that's, that's not the way it is. And I think that the majority of the people think and believe that, but... Right, like I, I have, we have like... Um, you know, Padma Lakshmi, she's great. And she's been doing a lot of, like, world cuisine, which I think is really cool. But I feel like she started out doing Indian stuff because she's Indian. So mm -hmm. she had to. And then we have someone I idolize. I love her food and her cooking, Mani Chohan. And she is on CHOP. She's one of the judges. She wasn't one of my mm -hmm. judges. But she's, her food's brilliant. It's just, and apparently she's taken over Nashville. And she's one of those restaurateurs yes. that you must to go and see when you're there. Um, I read that and I, too. I just, right, and I, that's the thing. Like she's, but we, we have these wonderful people that are doing that that are from the Indian demographic. So what about the other Indians that, yes, we cook, but we also do other things. Like let's remember not to profile us as one, one thing. Yeah. You know, like that's just not. Exactly. One, it's not cool. And two, you're not gaining, as a person that's you know, profiling us this way, you're not gaining enough value from what we could be for you if you let exactly. us be that, you know? So mm -hmm. just consider that when you say you meet an Indian chef and you're like, oh, they must cook Indian food. Maybe have a conversation first before you decide that. Absolutely, which is why this show exists. Yeah. <laughs> so what has become more important or less important in the last five years? Oh, what a great question. I love that question, Mike. I really love you can, that. You can steal it for your podcast if you want. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And I feel I like no matter what, <laughs> yeah, did you? I think no matter what, you're going to get different answers. It's such a, yep. it's such a thoughtful and primal question. So when I first started, I just wanted to prove myself, and mm -hmm. that's it. Like I just wanted to prove that you know this five foot two, hundred and seven pound Indian girl could be a chef and kick ass in New York City kitchens and work just as hard as as the, the gentlemen that were around her and do it just as well. That was my mm -hmm. my biggest thing because one, Mike, I'm not an athlete. Like you can ask my entire family and my friends. Like I am just, just I don't I don't have like I generally don't have the physical stamina, but when you put me in the kitchen, I've got it. And it has something to do mm -hmm. with how my mind works about wanting to make it in the kitchen setting. And, you know, some chefs just can keep going all night long. I can too, but it it really wreaks havoc on my body, and I still do it because I care about this profession so much. And I have to take days out where I go and, like, work out and, and like, really build the um, physical ability to do the kitchen work, whereas I think mm -hmm. a lot of, generally speaking, a lot of, like, restaurant chefs are, like, they're just good. They don't, they don't have to go to the gym. But at the same time, 
that's the reason why a lot of restaurant chefs are kind of big. I mean, if they took care of themselves, yeah. they may not be in that situation. I'm also a health mm -hmm. chef, so I wouldn't be like, don't go to the gym. Like, you really should go to the gym. You should eat right. whatever you want, and within mm -hmm. reason, of course, within reason, but you should also definitely go to the gym or just <laughs> in some way work out, do yoga, something. Like, really just stretch something out that else. body. Anyway, that was a big thing when I first started, and now I've reached a point where I'm proving myself, and I'm going to continue to do things that mean a lot to me, but I just want to share information, and I want to I want to create some sort of platform for people to talk about the things that are important to them regarding food and human relations. Food and human relations is like a big thing. Like we sit around at dinner talking to each other, having conversations and eating, and we're, it's really just the fundamental idea of what human relations is. Mm -hmm. So it's having conversations with people within that sort of setting, but bringing the information that we do one-on-one -on -one with each other to a larger group because there's so much value in the things we share with each other one-on-one. -on -one. And I, I feel like that there's just so much more meaning and depth to what I'm trying to do now. And not, I mean, if I didn't sit, sit around when I was, you know, five years into it before, I, w I wasn't saying, like, I need to prove myself. Like, yeah, I'm five foot two, but I can do this. Like, if I didn't have that attitude, I wouldn't be here. So everything, you know, is as, as planned and how it, how it worked out. I just have a certain sense of wanting more calmness and wanting to provide more information to people in my life now. And that's, like, oh, a big, okay. that's a huge, huge thing that feeds me on a daily basis. You can hear it in your voice, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, I care. I care so much. Yeah. I, 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 that's what drives me on a daily basis to cook for the families I cook for, to sit down with you and talk about this, to create my own podcast, to, you know, figure out how to do this YouTube thing. Like, that's the whole world. I'm so excited about all of it, and it's a journey. I hope people will follow me and, and listen because they will. There's, a, there's a lot there's a lot to listen to and I, I you know it, it comes down to how well you do it you know and so I'm you know people that are listening to me now just know whatever feedback you give me I will honestly care and think about and I will try my best to make things work in a way that will give people the best knowledge and best information to my ability so you know know that whatever's coming out I'm always happy to hear what you've got to say I didn't get most of that you dropped out your cell phone dropped out Oh, yeah? Okay. okay. Yeah. But you're back now. All right, cool. We've, I want to kind of wrap this up. You, you need to get going because we've been talking for quite some time here. But I do have my challenge question, and I ask the challenge question to everybody. So you receive a request to cater a dinner party for 25 guests with a budget of $500, roughly about 20 bucks a piece. Mm -hmm. the, the menu is to include two hors d'oeuvres, two main courses, and a dessert. Describe the menu you would create. Mm, okay. This is a very relative question to what's in season and what is on sale from your vendors. You so go. depending on that is where I would come up with two appetizers, um, two mains, and, and um, the dessert. I would definitely um, create some sort of soup because then I could extend certain vegetables. Um, mm -hmm. I would probably do 
a salad, like a, a you know, like a salad appetizer of some sort, because then it could mm -hmm. be very small, and we could eat a large amount of people, and still have extra leftover to do the mains and the the desserts. And I think that one of the easiest way to make dessert without it being complicated, and I actually learned this from um, working next to Adam Ellison on shops. Um, he made a cobbler at the end, by fluke. I think he meant to do churros, actually, but he ended up making a cobbler. But mm. if you want to take the easy way out in feeding a large amount of people and throwing a bunch of things together, make cobbler. I've learned this from catering myself. So when Adam made a cobbler, and I didn't, I, when I was actually, you know, we were filming it, I didn't realize, like, his churros, you know, had failed initially, and that's why he went to cobbler. I looked at his dish, and I thought to myself, Damn, why didn't I do a cobbler? That's the easiest thing in the world. And it could have saved me so much time. But that's the truth. In catering, like, it's large scale and it's mass. Like, you know, it's actually just two steps. It's just chopping up your fruits and making a compote, like, a sauce out of it and, you know, and cooking it down. And then mm. topping it with a crumble. And flour doesn't cost much. Butter doesn't cost much, depending on the right vendor. Um, you, you can get, like, sugar in whatever form you want if it's, you know... Because it's set up this way, I would definitely urge my clients to have more than $500 as a budget simply because I'd want to use healthier ingredients than white flour and mm. white sugar. And this is the cheapest thing I can use. So the clients that come to me will probably want like a health-oriented menu anyway. So some of these, you know, if I'm looking to, instead of white sugar, I would want to use brown, you know, I'd want to use maple syrup crystals, maple sugar crystals. And that mm. costs a lot. That costs much more than white sugar, so I would have to explain, and that would impact our menu. But just right. generally speaking, a cobbler for sure. And then um, the mains would be vegetarian. And I say this because meat costs a lot. And I, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't put that in the, I would say, okay, 500 for 25 people, we can't have meat. If you want a really nice, we can, we can definitely do protein in the meal, but it would have to be a vegetarian, a vegan protein, because I, I'm not being, I'm not going to be able to support the amount of meat that you're looking for, I just wouldn't mm. do it. I would because here's the thing: I can buy the meat, and I'm sure I could figure out a way to do it with my vendor and get a deal. But you know what would happen? I would get them shitty meat, and I can't do that. I can't give somebody right. shitty, especially animal ingredients. Like I don't want anyone getting sick, and I want people to feel really good about what they eat. So in that sort of budget, I would prefer to go the vegetable route and the meat route because at least I know I'm giving them something of real quality with the amount of money that they provided. So these are the things that I would think about. Cool. I like it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. We covered a ton of conversation, cut a ton of topics. And we've had yeah. a great time. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Why don't you tell people how they can get in touch with you, what's your website address, and how they can follow you on social media. Yeah. So I am best to communicate with through Instagram. So if you guys want to follow me at Dahlia.David, so it's D-A-L-I-A, -A, there's no H in the middle, D-A-L-I-A -A dot D-A-V-I-D, David. You can find me there and feel free to shoot me a message and I will be happy to have a conversation with you, whatever your questions are. Um, that's the best way to reach out to me and um, my email is also on Instagram, so if you prefer to send an email, you can send that way and I can I can get back to you okay. um, from that mode as well. So. 
um, yeah, I am. If, if you have any questions, any sort of health food oriented questions, or just in general what it's like to be a personal chef, what it's like to cater, um, general thoughts about switching careers, I'm happy to share what I know. Always it's important for us to share what we know. That's the only way we're all going to succeed together. That's great. Thank you for yeah. putting that in there. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. I really appreciate you spending the time with me tonight. This is, um, it's been a great fun, and I really appreciate it. Much success to you. And if you ever need or want or have any questions regarding the podcast or... Yeah, Mike, yeah, I'm, I'm going to hit you up. Don't you worry, Mike. We'll be talking. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> if you need me, if you like, I'll be a guest on your show. If, if you need oh, to fill yeah. a spot, I'll be happy to be a guest Definitely. on your show as well. Yes. Yes, yes, Perfect. yes. I will definitely look into that. Thank you so much, Mike. It was so great talking to you. Thank you, Dahlia. Have a great yeah. evening. All right. You too, okay? Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Be sure and visit us at AOAChef.com for all the show notes. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at AOAChef. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.